Welcome back to Scripting Sales Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Paris, and today I have a special guest. It's special because not only have I known this person for quite a long time, he's also my first guest and also doing the forward to my new book coming out called Trust Call. Today I have Rex Biberston on the line who has uh, been an agency owner. He is an author of Outbound Sales No Fluff and currently a consultant working on his own with No Fluff Selling, a sales operations agency. Welcome, Rex. Hey, thanks, Ryan. Yeah. Rex, what's going on? You're in California. It's early, but this is probably like lunchtime for you because when I text you, when I wake up, you're also up. So what's happening? Yeah. Yeah. I'm an early riser. I feel like I was born to work East Coast hours. So I have a lot of clients all over the all over the U.S. And you know what? It's 8 a.m., but I've been up for a few hours. So we're good. Awesome, man. Well, today we're going to talk some specific questions. In this podcast, I wanted to focus and just keep the focus on sales conversation structure, that human to human interaction and how we separate the steps and structure of what we're saying versus authenticity and personality and ad-libbing. That's generally a theme in a lot of what we talk about. And it just opens up a world of process, strategy, training, and a whole other wide range of topics. So what I'd like to do is I have a few questions for you and I'm going to ask them and they are specific around this area because I think unlike a lot of other podcasts, what we're trying to do is get deep into the guts of sales conversation. You know, a lot of times we're very topical and might have some experts or gurus that we discuss, but we don't really get into the meat and potatoes of things. And that's how I want to start off this podcast. So you ready? Ready. Awesome. So I am a follower, subscriber of Rex's content on LinkedIn. So I thought I would start there. No, recently we've talked a lot about cold calling structure and different steps. We talked about consistent improvement in the last few episodes. So it's interesting because Rex has not seen these, but he's actually posted about them. So the first one is a cold call that you received, uh, I think a few weeks ago. And I'll just read it back to you. You said, hi, this is Rex. There's five seconds of silence. You said, hello. Hi, hi, Rex. This is mumbled name from mumbled acronym. Okay. I was calling to see if you're interested in our Google SEO services. You said, no, thank you. He said, okay, thank you. Inspiring. (laughs) Yeah. Super inspiring. Um, And also just as much disappointing that that's happening in 2023. Yeah. So my question to you is, First, how does this still happen in 2023? With cold calling been around as long as it has, how are we experiencing this kind of call? Gosh, uh, I mean, because of the technology that came out years before the pandemic, but was popularized during the pandemic here globally, I think what happened is more and more people adopted technology that made it easier for them to make calls, send emails, do a whole bunch of things in a much grander scale than they were previously doing. But there is not a requirement for people buying that technology to be good at using it. So while adoption skyrocketed, the skills that were associated with those technologies weren't necessarily paired together, right? right? So there's a bunch of people who buy the ability to make a bunch of calls. And then they buy a bunch of lists and that data is available to them in a million different places. And they call that list and they don't think about the fundamentals of who they're reaching out to, what they're expecting from that conversation, what they're hoping to get out of it, what value they're hoping to provide, and ultimately what's a good or bad outcome. How do they learn from it and improve? And they're simply hiring people who will fill a seat, who will do a job. And the job is to say this one particular thing. And that thing isn't very well thought out and it's not optimized. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting that these tools can end up crippling the salesperson rather than enhancing them in many ways. Did you notice any type of like clicks or anything like that before they answered or did they get to you right away? No, but I've had a bunch of those calls and uh, you know, I used to have a sales agency where we used power dialers and multi-line dialers and you'd hear a click or you'd hear a transfer. Like I've I've had that experience on both ends. 
And it wouldn't honestly bother me if the thing they had said was compelling or interesting in any way. I would have been fine. I, I even wait sometimes for people, their lag to catch up because I'm a salesperson. So I don't mind if a good yeah. pitch is coming at the end of that lag, hit me. Like, tell me why I can do something better than I'm doing now. And I'm happy love to that. listen to it. I love that attitude um, because I feel a lot of times when I've faced some folks who are in sales that I've cold called or I talk to people, they like to kind of be this like, this this coach immediately or this manager of the the cold caller or just like be act above them yeah and i'm like man there's so much i've bought services i've bought products from cold calls so yeah. we're open we're ready yeah um so i noticed that you added a couple nice suggestions on what to do you know and I, this is just part of the reason why i wanted to bring you it's so intuitive i feel for someone like you who I've spoken with so much off camera and just on phone conversations, you know, how did you know to add those additional, uh, suggestions, you know, so to give you a little sense of what he said, he said, you know, you could mention at least your company name, your industry <laughs> and anything beyond your first name to show that there's, you know, a little bit of an idea of who you are. Um, you could give a very specific pitch about why you're calling, and you know how you found that this might be a good offering for you this this Google SEO, and you might even have a little bit of awareness of the marketplace that it is a you know saturated market and kind of speak to that like hey you know is it possible you don't have anybody yet I know you've been pitched a million times so how how do you know to add those things because you know they resonated with me very quickly you know how do you know to add that versus what you heard so I didn't think about it as a salesperson I thought about it as a buyer. I thought, okay, well, what would make me more tolerant of any hiccups in the conversation or more willing to listen to some sort of offer? First of all, I have to know that there was some reason that they reached out to me. Why Why would I be the perfect person for them to contact? And that mm -hmm. could be just by hinting at having done some homework. Like, hey, Rex, we're talking with lots of sales consulting teams. I mean, that's, that's a big yeah. difference between, hi, Rex, and Hyrex, we're talking to a bunch of sales consultants who are doing X, thought we might reach out to you. Or, hey, Rex, I saw no fluff selling. I mean, just the fact that they would name the company seems like the most basic barrier to entry into a conversation. I would have been a little bit more tolerant. Okay, they mentioned two points, my first name, my company. Name. Like, okay, I'll go a little further and they could earn a little bit more of a conversation. So I just thought of that as a buyer, not as a salesperson. And I think we don't take enough time often to think like a buyer. Think, you know, if I got approached by somebody, think about it. If you walked into Costco and this was the pitch you got from the person trying to sell direct TV, would it resonate with you or would you just walk on by and say, oh, no, I'm good. Or the person selling solar. No, I'm fine. Thank you. I've got solar. We're good. Yeah. You know, think about it as the buyer and that will change how you think about the messaging that you use as a salesperson. And it's just the quickest just, hack you can do. Love that. I was just going to say, you know, really and that's a massive point that i've talked about in prior episodes that that you hit on which is scripting and conversation structure is really not a reflection of the salesperson but really a byproduct of you know buyer conversation and yeah. how they respond so very interesting my next post here that i've seen is really about an underrated sales strategy for startups. And you had mentioned, this is just actually five days ago, doing something consistently. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting to say that because I've actually read and seen a lot recently about the topic of consistency versus intensity. And you actually get more out of consistency than you do intensity which is, which uh, I thought was a fascinating thought. And so yeah. the fact that you, we had not talked about this and you mentioned it was curious. So I wanted to just pick on that for a second and say, you know, how have you found consistency or small tweaks versus a major pivot, you know, to be the best process for developing sales results and process? Yeah, I guess if we think of it in like, in, in terms of like, let, let's say you're shooting a gun, right? You've got a target, you're, you're a professional marksman maybe, and you are 
just turning on your heels all the time. Let's say you're going out hunting. You're turning on your heels all the time trying to hit this bird. And you don't even know what you're aiming at, but you're just firing one shot quickly. You're turning, you're firing, you're turning, you're firing. You know, uh, Jim Collins talks about firing bullets before cannonballs where, you know, you only have so much ammunition, right? And so he says, if you have this enemy ship at sea, if you have small bullets that you're firing, right, then what can happen is you're not using all your ammunition and you're calibrating and then... Uh, once you start getting onto the target, you can pull out more ammunition to hit that, you know, use that big cannon, you know, because if yeah. you do it too quickly, you can also expose yourself and you're out of ammunition. Um, well, I think most of what happens with startups is it's it's uncommon for startups to suddenly go really hard in one direction. It's that they try and dip their toes in a bunch of different directions. It's okay, I'm going to send 100 emails. I'm going to make 10 calls. I'm going to have four conversations. Oh, that didn't go very well. And I say startups, but this is also true of most salespeople. Okay, I wrote a script. Oh, that didn't sound very good. Oh, that didn't come out well. I'm just going to wholesale abandon that thing and I'm going to pivot and I'm going to say something totally different on this next call. Oh, I'm going to I'm going to come in this conversation from an entirely different angle. Whereas you know, early in my career, what I found was if I said the same thing consistently to get into a call, if I got stuck getting into a real conversation with another human, I'd stop saying that thing. But if I didn't try to consistently say the same thing, I had no idea where I was messing up or where I was succeeding. I didn't know what worked and what didn't work. So I got to consistency there. I'd get stuck. I'd say, okay, well, let's get over this hurdle. Let's change what I'm saying here. I'd get into a conversation with a real human and then I'd book a whole lot more appointments because I could consistently get into that conversation. It's the same thing I did when I knocked doors, right? So I used to sell alarms door to door. I got my one pitch down after hundreds of iterations, like small tweaks along the way from something my manager taught me to something that worked for me to the point that I could get in about 50% of the homes of those doors that I knocked. I could get inside their house. It was incredible. And it was just because I just kept repeating the same thing until it worked nearly every time. And then I didn't have to think about it anymore. And then I could go and enjoy being around other humans and have a great time meeting with them in their home, make them feel comfortable and sell them something that ultimately was beneficial to them. That's brilliant. That's, you know, there's so much, so many nuggets I need to unpack here. There's so many good things that you said. The first one is just doing it consistently allows you to make tweaks. Just doing it consistently gives you the ability to make tweaks. And the first yeah. thing I thought of was something we, we talk about in a different aspect, but it gives you, uh, it gives you a guardrail or a foundation when stormy weather comes. We've had a rep before to a lot of our new business cold calling for superhuman. And we would give him one of our scripts and we gave him some flexibility and he was having some failures early on. So we completely scrapped that and started with something brand new. He just heard on LinkedIn. Yeah. And then he would, then he would try that one and maybe get a couple appointments and then that would fail and he'd crumble that one up and do a completely different strategy we'd never heard of. Yep. And he kept going through that. And it wasn't like there was this consistent increase because there was nothing to base the learnings off of anymore. Yeah. And the last thing you said, which I thought was very helpful, was that it allows you to talk more freely and build relationships with the people once you're able to do that. Yeah. If I can get past the barrier of them not feeling comfortable with me, not trusting me, then I don't have to sell them so much as I just have to identify the opportunities for them to buy something. Is there an opportunity here? Great. But I can't even identify those opportunities until I've gotten into a real conversation with them, established some rapport. But again, you're, you're fighting an uphill battle as a salesperson. So you've got to get past that barrier of, okay, do they respect me enough to have a conversation with me? If I can't get past that, I'm not going to sell them something, certainly. No. There's a there is a interesting follow-up question to this, which I think is a little bit more of a takeaway or tangible piece, which is how long does it take to judge efficacy of a strategy? How long do you have to be consistent where you say this is consistently failing or this is consistently improving and getting better? Yeah, you can get a hint pretty quickly. I think, you know, I, I won't speak to statistical relevance or accuracy, but I like to think about the Chet Holmes Buyer's Pyramid. If you've ever heard of the late, great Chet Holmes, he's a sales author. He wrote The Ultimate Sales Machine. So he, 
Yeah, he's a he's a great author, famous speaker on sales, and he talked about the ultimately it's just this pyramid that tells us that three percent of any given market is in market buying right this minute. Okay, okay? so very tip of the pyramid, seven percent approximately are open to it. There's thirty percent who aren't open to it. There's thirty percent who you know might be open to it. Essentially, it just it breaks down into okay. there's just this tiny piece of the market that's buying right now. And then there's a small portion, that that extra 7%, so a total of 10% who are either buying now or open to it. If I can't convert 10% of my conversations, I either have a targeting problem or I have a messaging problem. Now, if I can't get into a conversation with enough people to even convert anyone, it's probably a messaging problem. Yeah. Right? If I can't even say, hey, is this a problem you're experiencing? Say, yeah, but we already have a solution for that, great then if you already have a solution, it could be a targeting problem. It could be that we don't have great positioning. But if I can't even get into that conversation, I'm saying something terrible. I need to work on my messaging. I need to help them understand why I'm targeting them, what I can do that's potentially beneficial to a pain that they're experiencing. I'm not speaking to the right things. Yeah, that that gives a lot of context and a box to then measure ourselves with, right? So we know we're in at least this playing field to have some type of benchmarks. And I, it's important, right? I think it's, it's really hard in sales to know metrics and these benchmarks to figure, okay, did I say this long enough uh, in order to change it or should I keep going with it? Because it's yeah. such, still such an underdeveloped profession in my opinion. Yeah. But just something like that, like these books, these experiences, this empirical evidence that these authors and sales experts are finding just give us at least a benchmark, whether or not it's extremely relevant to us to at least start from. So yeah, say, it may right, not be right. true that your market is only 3% of the time in market. They yeah. may have extremely high turnover of purchases, right? They might switch vendors every single year. That might be that actually one twelfth of your market is in market at all times because one, there maybe it's a, a regulation of the government that requires them to buy a certain solution. They have to have something in place. Facts. And- all vendors are crap or there's just common turnover. Maybe it's actually a higher percentage, but if you can't convert at least 10%, there's something missing there. So I would say if you're having 20, 30 conversations and you haven't booked a couple of meetings, you have a sense that, okay, well, this isn't working for me. But if you've had five conversations and you can't get to the point where you're having a, well, let's say if you've tried to get into a conversation five times and you can't get into one, you're messing up earlier in the conversation flow. Mm. Yeah. So then it's breaking it down from there. You know, generally speaking, are you close to that 10%? And if not, what are the reasons for that? And if you're confident that like, all right, with the small tweak, you know, and you see that improvement, you can use that as kind of leverage to get to the next one and get to the next part, get to the next part. And I think that's probably what you're talking about with the small tweaks. Yep. Right. Exactly. But yeah, just having some big picture reference to like, what does it mean to not pivot? And what does it mean to pivot? Because sometimes it might, it might be a requirement. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, we talk about this with cold email a lot. People talk about this on LinkedIn all the time. Oh, the goal of the first sentence is to get people to read the next sentence. Great. You think it's any different over the phone? I mean, the yeah. goal of the first statement <laughs> is to get them to yeah. you know, either open up or be willing to listen to the next statement. Yes. It's so and much so if we can make those tweaks yeah. kind of block by block and say, okay, well, I'm getting this far into the conversation generally. Sometimes, of course, you get cut off because someone's having a bad day, whatever. But if I can generally get this far in, I know where my block is. I'm going to tweak that block and then I'm going to move forward. Perfect. Yeah, that's great advice. That's good stuff. And I think there's more to come on this topic. I think we will get more scientific about this as time goes on. Yeah. The biggest challenge is so many different industries have different metrics. Yeah. But we're getting closer. We're getting yeah. closer. I think if you could say, hey, most of the people we sell to already have a solution in place. So our metric should be however long the average contract is. Think about that. That's mm-hmm. like if it's a three year contract, then every three years that person's up for a renewal or for a new purchase, then you have one thirty six of the market is in market this month. 
right? Yeah. So the, <laughs> the math works yeah. out. And then there's yeah. there's always those who are feeling pain or a new leader who comes in and they say, hey, we'll, we'll cancel our current contract and you can go with somebody else if you like them better. Like there's always a portion of the market who's open to it because they're feeling pain or they're new and they have the right to go and purchase something different. So that's why I like that 10% number. It's not a hard and fast rule, but it's a good guideline. No, it's great. And it's close. So like we're, we're right around there. So if you're getting, you know, essentially uh, one every, we're about 15% with cold calling on average. So about one every yeah. seven conversations is our benchmark. But that number yeah. ranges based on the industry, right? If we're an yeah. IT company reaching out to Fortune 100 businesses trying to set up, you know, an appointment regarding their IT design and setup, well, one in every seven would be it would be gangbusters. It would be <laughs> freaking like miracle. I, it would be a miracle. But then on the other end, the opposite end of the spectrum we found is we have cannabis businesses trying to get into dispensaries. Completely different sale. And yeah. if we're not hitting a 30% conversion, then something's off. Yeah. I had one client so. a couple of years ago where they had an omnidirectional treadmill. So a physical product where you could walk <laughs> in any direction on this treadmill. It's for virtual reality. Oh, okay. It was the only yeah. one in the industry that was truly omnidirectional for wow. physical therapists, for virtual reality, gaming systems, for training the military, all kinds of practical applications. And they were just starting to go to market. We could book four meetings in a day off of a hundred calls. Like we could book meetings like crazy because it was right. such a hot product. So yeah, it varies massively where I've had other clients where if we booked 10 meetings in a month, it was a huge month for them. It was maybe more than they even knew what to do with sometimes. So it really depends largely on the product and how hot the market is. Yeah, it's a great point. The next thing I want to talk about, I want to transition a little bit here and we'll go a little bit more, I would say zoom out to more of the agency side, the management, the training side and something about your background that folks might not know is that you also used to run an outsourced sales agency yep. and we were competitors at <laughs> one time and I'm a very competitive person. And so I would do my research on the sales developers. Yeah. And I remember talking with my business partner, Dennis about their leadership. I wonder what they're up to this guy, Rex, he's the COO, you know, do we need to have a COO? <laughs> so, uh, it, it's interesting to see, that skill set of yours translate into your work now. Yeah. I see you're you very focused on systems and process in sales. You know, and I see that on your website with your offering in no fluff selling. Mm -hmm. So could you just share with us a little bit about your expertise in this area? You know, kind of where that expertise came from in sales operations and how it also applies to the service that you offer. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. So you know just a little yeah. bit about your expertise in the area. Yeah. So I've spent most of my career in sales operations, whether as a sales rep trying to figure out how to make things easier for myself or as a sales leader trying to smooth the road ahead of my reps or in actual sales operations consulting, even as a director or VP of sales. My obsession with it started because I used to sell door to door. As I mentioned, I had to go knock doors and you had to like walk from each house to the next house. And it was so much physical work, but I'd had four knee surgeries in high school. So it really, it took a toll on me. It was just rough. So I was the top rookie my first year. I loved it. I loved selling to people. I loved giving them a product they knew was better than the one they had. We did a lot of kind of, hey, we'd switch over from one vendor to our vendor. And I loved it. But then I found out that you could sell from a desk and you didn't have to walk between houses. And it was like the most revelatory thing. And I happened to start my career at a company called InsideSales.com. And for all that they didn't do from a sales training perspective, they didn't teach us how to sell, but they spent about two full days teaching us how their product worked. So I finally understood the science of selling. I understood how everything worked together, how the pieces plugged in and how a tweak in the system along the way could have this outsized impact mm. on your results. And so I became fascinated with that because I had the art part down. I was an English major. I loved, you know, the, like, how do we speak? What do we say? What is the fine tuning of the messaging? But also ultimately, how do we have more of those conversations per hour? How do we convert more of those? How do we make it easier for a rep to move from activity to activity? So I became obsessed with that just, you know, kind of in my own personal world. And then I began to identify opportunities to 
test myself and expand my knowledge. So I started mm. my first sales agency and I suddenly found myself in charge of building all of our systems. Yeah. And then later I went into consulting and back into another sales agency where we literally would build outbound sales engines for our clients. Ultimately, we ended up running them, but that was our whole thing was, okay, we can make this operate. You just need to plug in the people. And so we got that to work really smoothly. And then ultimately our agency had, at one time we had 20 clients running simultaneously on outreach instances, all tied to the same Salesforce instance. We built a Salesforce dashboard for each of our clients they could log into and see in real time all the work we were doing for them. So it was like just constantly pushing the boundaries of my knowledge and all these systems. And it was really fun. But I will say it takes a certain mindset. I'm a very visual processor, so I, I build kind of process maps and lucid chart of everything. And that helps me keep organized. But there are people who are more inclined towards this and there's others who, you know, who are not. Well, and I would say too, that traditionally the natural sales kind of personality type is someone who's less systems oriented. Yeah. Traditionally. But I think that's changing. Yeah. I think it's changing as we learn more and those folks who are more process oriented can adapt and build, you know, their authenticity through sales conversation using the data and the processes to for their advantage. Um, yeah, so we're we're no longer in an age where you can simply pick up a phone and a phone book and make as much money as you can with a more intelligent process and some systems enablement. You can still do it. I still believe that a good salesperson can sell regardless of circumstance, regardless of technology, regardless of process, because they understand inherently who is going to feel the pain that our product solves? And they're going to go find those people and talk to them. But yeah. you can make so much more money and companies are looking for more efficient ways to run those, those processes and those engines. Hmm. How does your service utilize those skill sets with no fluff selling? You know, I looked at yeah. you, you work with sales operations, sales trainings, sales training, ongoing support, which covers a wide range, but certainly seems to have a lot of those skill sets in it. How do, how do those skill sets apply to your service right now and how are you helping teams? Yeah, so we start with an advisor mentality. We look at the system, but we also look at the people. We also look at the product. We look at the market. We think what is, what is actually needed here, not what's hot, what's what's happening, what channels are they struggling in. It's what's needed on a, on a larger scale, on a, you know, a bigger picture. We advise them and then we determine, okay, how do we get from where we are now to where we want to be. And then we build that bridge and that's just an order of operations. It's okay. We don't need to worry actually about systems first. Your reps aren't showing up to work eight hours a day. So we need a little coaching here. Let's work with your reps on, you know, a little bit of process, a little bit of, you know, adherence to policy, or maybe you just need to document some of those things. And then we layer in, okay. Mm -hmm. And now the biggest reason that they're not showing up eight hours a day is because they get burnt out at six hours because they're having to manually dial. Okay. Well, they shouldn't be having to do that. Let's get click to call in there. Let's get a power dialer. Okay. You know, and oh, it turns out that they're having very low connect rates. Well, we need to get better data. Or it turns out that they're targeting all the wrong people. And these aren't folks who spend time on the phone. So we need to include email. So it's about looking at where we need to get and then just building that roadmap to get there. Yeah. It seems like the word that came to my mind is the guts of their yeah. sales operation. And you really perform a surgery. Yeah, we like to deep. think of it as getting down in the mud with the reps, because what we come up against a lot is fractional VPs of sales. So a lot wow. of startups that we work with will say, oh, you know, I'm considering hiring a fractional VP because we're not ready for a full time VP of sales. We only have two or three salespeople. And those are great in the strategy. They're able to give you a really good line of sight to like, what should the future look like at your company? But getting it done, getting from A to C, that point B in the middle they don't want to get their hands dirty. Typically, they're not actually touching systems. They're telling you that somebody else needs to get that done. Whereas we come in and we apply maybe 80% of the same level of strategy. We're not, we're not there. We're not going to be that advisor, VP of sales yeah. who owns the entire thing. No, But we're going to come in and get it done. That's a really good distinction. So I think that's yeah. a different skill set, right? Where totally. You're providing a setup for someone to take that and run efficiently and effectively. Yep. And we've been expanding our services and just trying to understand where can we best apply the skills that we have as a team. We developed a yeah. unique coaching process and service. Well, that only became necessary when we identified that, hey, it turns out sometimes you can build all the right processes and you can enable all the technology in the world. 
And if the people don't feel excited about their work or they're not the right people for the role, like we're, turns out we probably need a recruiting service baked in here because there's just so much that goes into making sales work. So much. And we realized that too at Superhuman because it, sales is such a beast, right? Because yeah. the department takes so much balancing and juggling altogether. And if one of those yeah. is broken, the, the juggles are all, the balls are all going to fall. Yeah. So it's, it's uh, crazy. I'm yeah. going to transition a little bit to a little bit of your career and how it applies to some of the topics within our podcast, Scripting Sales. So yeah, I know with your career, you've worked and you've mentioned a lot of this. You work with different teams uh, at different levels. You were a rep going door to door. You were an inside salesperson, manager outsourcing entrepreneur, you know, COO and, and a consulting principal. So my question is, as we kind of talk about sales conversation again, you know, how does teaching and applying sales conversation structure change based on the dynamics of the positions that you're in? So in other I words, feel like, yeah, yeah, maybe go I'll ahead. Stop there if that makes sense. Go ahead. Yeah. And maybe I'll come at this at the right angle. So you correct me if I'm thinking about this differently than how you intended the question, but I've learned so much about selling by being a buyer. And I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, like really I come at these things as a buyer, not a seller. Mm. And if you can have empathy for what it feels like to be approached by a stranger and be sold something, if you can understand how that feels, you will dramatically change how you approach sales. Mm. When I think about, okay, if I get a hundred emails a day as a VP of sales, then how am I going to stand out? Well, I would put a video in there or, oh, I would reference something specific or, okay, if I get a hundred cold calls a day, like, why would I pick up? Oh, because I've seen their number before. So I'm going to be more persistent. Oh, cause I got a voicemail from them. I'm going to leave a voicemail occasionally. You know, I think about the things as a buyer rather than, okay, as a salesperson, I'm going to guess that it's 12 touches over 10 days, blah, 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 <laughs> magic right, secret right. formula guessing okay. my way to success. At what point then maybe did you, and maybe you always thought that from the beginning, but at what point did you start transitioning to what do I need to think about as the buyer to help my sales? Honestly, when I started buying things as a B2B <laughs> purchaser, yeah, okay. I became a director of sales yeah. at a company, a yeah. software company and it hit me. Oh my gosh. Like there's so many other considerations. I didn't have that context. I didn't have that empathy for how many other people I would have to convince that we should buy this thing and how we would need to position that. And so it really changed all of what I do kind of post discovery call, all we do with enablement and making sure that we think about your buyer, whether they are the decision maker or not, like they are a champion in the next conversation internally. Like there's a discussion that's gonna happen. There's so many stakeholders that'll get involved and opinions that'll be considered. One, are they convinced? Two, are they taking it forward? And three, what are you doing to make that easier for them? All of those things really only came to my mind as I became a buyer and realized, oh man, I got to go convince this guy that we should separate, you know, we should, we should part with some money here because of the benefit. And, oh, he's going to ask for a measured version of that benefit. You know, what is that going to look like? An estimate, some sort of ROI calculation. Like it just, it hit me there's so much more I could be doing to make my buyer's life easier if I just thought like them. That's incredible. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the language of the market. I mean, the market is changing based upon the buyers. So why aren't we yeah. most attuned to the buyers? Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, the biggest lesson I've learned in, as a marketer was from our VP, Dennis, the the most impactful because when he first came to our team, he uh, was working strictly to develop our website. And so he was like, I need some content to write the website. Can you give me some things about what you offer? And I was like, sales development, top of funnel, lead generation. And he's like, Ryan, I used these. I looked up keywords. No one's searching for these, these terms for SEO. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what? But these are like, we're like industry experts. This is exactly what we do. We need to be the experts. He's like, that's not how people think. They're, you're on step 10, they're on step two. Nice. So how do the, what are the buyers searching for? Well, I found that they're searching for cold calling services, telemarketing services, B2B lead generation. Mm -hmm. And so 
my, my language needed to change based upon where the market was. Yep. And I know it's a little different from what you're saying, you know, in this specific, you know, comparison. it's just a different application of the same principle though. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's too great. easy to guess our way to hopefully the correct answer or to listen to what other people are doing. But I think we also limit ourselves and we think, okay, you know, I've, I've recommended to a lot of people, go listen to the top rep in your company, go find out what he or she is yeah. saying and doing. Mm -hmm. That is truly useful when you're at the bottom rung, yeah. but you may ultimately be limiting yourself by using the language of the best rep because that's best relative to your company. It doesn't actually right. mean that that is truly what the market is saying. They may be kicking against the pricks as it were. They may be pushing against, you know, this, this wave that's coming at them and sure, they're more successful than everybody else who's not doing the basics. They're not showing up eight hours a day. They're not putting in the effort. They're not, they're, they're afraid of the phone or they're afraid to send that email, but it doesn't mean that, you know, this is the best that we could ever possibly do. So I think it's same principle, different application. That's perfect. So I like that it went that direction. I will ask you, you know, as you're, and we can apply that thinking as a buyer or thinking in different places within a company. You know, how do you, how do you develop yourself? And maybe this is just general recommendation. How do you develop yourself as a rep versus a consultant? Uh, let me rephrase that. So how, how would you develop yourself as a rep and then as a consultant at note fluff selling? Like if you had to go back as a rep, how would you develop yourself selling one product, you know, versus a consultant working for companies? Yeah. Uh, how would I develop myself as a sales professional today? Yeah. Today, I mean, yeah. I'd continue to do what I started out doing, which is just iterating on my process, identifying, am I doing the same thing consistently and making improvements over time? I mean, I would be asking for advice. I would be looking to others who are successful. I don't know if I can be more specific or if you have a more specific version of the yeah, question. I, I I think what I'm trying to get at is, you know, using what you've learned over all of these different positions that you've been in, like how do you, how would, you know, I'm just, I'm wondering if there is anything there and if there's not, that's fine. Because I know like now if I were a sales rep, cause I, I think about that sometimes I have like these, oh man, if I could go sell a software right now, or if I could go just be a sales rep at superhuman, well, here's yeah. what I, here's what I do differently. And I guess I, that's kind of where I was going based upon your experience. If, if a lot of this educational learning has, has trained, has changed you uh, as a, as a rep and a consultant now. And if nothing, yeah, that's fine. I mean, it's not easy to get access to customers when you're a sales rep at a large organization, but if you're at a small company, I would want to sit in on customer success calls. If you have gong mm -hmm. or some other recorder, like I would listen to more calls where uh, the buyers are talking. Yeah. Ideally, now this is a thing that my very first agency, my partner had a really great idea that we never really carried through more than once, but we, we had a CFO present to our sales team so that when we were selling to CFOs, they would understand what their day was like and what their pains were and what they dealt with. Man, I wish wow. I had that in wow. any sales role, just understanding, okay, what tools do they use? Huh? What does their day look like? Are they like they have to get in early because somebody's going to be asking for something as soon as they start. Or do they stay late because the end of quarter and it's crazy and there's this hectic rush? Like, how can I better understand their life so that I can be a little bit more intelligent about how I present what we offer? So I definitely would be asking for that or asking for access to even just recordings of that kind of information. That's genius. I mean, really, it's not even just about you learned so much about that position and how that could impact how, how that's similar to other CFOs or other targets. Yeah. And then that just becomes your process. You mean, cause you're, you're talking not just about what they know or their expertise, you're talking about what their day is like, when are they available? You know, yeah. what, what, like you said, what tools they use, who they speak with, how they speak, which is, yeah. Big. how do they prioritize their time? What are projects that they, have that are burning fires that will suddenly disappear because they have something else come up or like what comes up all of a sudden for them that, you know, might push back a project that they thought was important previously. Uh, and the, the other thing I'll mention that I would do if I were starting out my sales career all over again, I would just double my pipeline. Yeah. I would just have <laughs> more deals yeah. in my pipeline. Yeah. 
I, if I'm a full cycle rep, I'm going to be prospecting more consistently because this is an yeah. issue I see with a lot of account executives right now is they're waiting for their SDR to book them meetings. Well, I don't really like being beholden to other people and their timelines and their capabilities. So I would be yeah. prospecting more. And I know that if I have twice as many sales conversations, I've got better coverage. I'm going to hit my number and I don't have to fear hitting my number. Mm-hmm. I just have to think, okay, well, how do I get more efficient at what I'm doing so I can have that many more conversations? I think in terms of how do I gain and not how do I avoid loss? And I don't have to live in that fear and worry. And then I don't have to compare myself to others and say, how am I going to be the top rep? It's, well, of course I'm the top rep. I'm the one doing all this work. Like people aren't doing what I do, you know? So I would double pipeline and not think about my manager's goals for me as my goals for me. I love that. It's good stuff. That's great. Yeah. I mean, that's, certainly lessons learned and you know you're, we're thinking highest performance possible yeah. you know if our quote is 100 leads how do we get 200 that's the question yeah well especially when you're closing deals i think this is most important you know when you're when you're closing deals and you're relying on that one deal to come across the finish line before the end of the quarter you already lost that on you right that, exactly. that on you because you could have yep. done more earlier yep. in the quarter or last yep. quarter to prep for you, this quarter you're leaving it to luck that's like exactly. when people get mad at refs for losing a game for up for a team. It's like, yeah. no, why didn't you just score 10 more whatever? Yeah. Why didn't you play that much better so that yeah. that variance was acceptable to you? 100%. Perfect. Okay. I'm in your book, Outbound Sales, No Fluff, which I've read a couple times. And it didn't take you very long, so I that's wanted... the good news. What's that? So it didn't take you very long, so that's the good news. <laughs> yeah, twice in a day. That's um, right. So you give what I loved about it. And I remember this, I'm just like, it's so simple, but effective. You can take these and add them to your life the next day. So one of the things that, you know, I I've looked here was looked at here was your cold calling and cold emailing structure. You give recommendations on them and they're very succinct, sure. right? Reach prospects, intro, permission, value prop, questioning, uh, things of that nature. So I want to ask you, you know, you're about small tweaks. You're about development. Do you use the same method right now and, and, or has it changed? What's changed is I've expanded my view of what is useful. Okay. And I've also learned that it depends so much on the rep that I can't create the perfect script. And it's funny because I, I sometimes joke that my first sales manager handed me a script and said, this is the perfect script. You'll never need another script in your life. And then I treated my own sales teams like this. I would hand them what I thought was the right version. And of course I would encourage them, oh, make it your own. But like, I didn't, I didn't truly understand that it was way more about the structure than it was about the messaging. I would think too much about the messaging. And I didn't open my eyes to the fact that, well, you can get into lots of different kinds of conversations. When I had my second agency, that's where I learned, okay, well, I might approach this, what we call like going for the throat. I might know that we have something truly innovative and all I want to do is book time to show them that thing. But if I have a commodity product, I've got to open a conversation. I've got to establish more rapport. I've got to give them something to sink their teeth into. That's not, we have this amazing revolutionary product. It's, Hey, you know, timing sounds like it's good. You might be having some pain with your current Mm -hmm. vendor and you like talking to me. So let's book another meeting, right? Let's book that follow on call. So I think a lot has changed about my viewpoint on what's possible, what's necessary, where it fits. Yeah. I've certainly expanded what I think is a useful framework or multiple useful frameworks. And I advise that reps and teams think about what's going to work for where their market is today and where they are as a team and what hypothesis they're testing for. Because that's another thing I've opened my eyes to is uh, this is all a, a hypothesis. You can treat it as a guess, which most people do. Yeah, just take a guess. Try it, shoot from the hip, see what works. Or you can treat it as a hypothesis, run the scientific method and say, okay, what were the outcomes of my experiment here? Yeah, I thought we could pitch it this way and that didn't work. So let's try a different conversational structure, try and open the door a little bit more. Oh, wow. It seems like we're getting really far into the conversation that we're struggling to convert that to a meeting. Okay. Now, how do we tweak the messaging? Because the framework gets us into that conversation we want. Perfect. And that's the same way we think about it at H to H. We think about structures and then we think about the messaging and then adding in authenticity and personality in that order. And so 
you know, it's, it's so funny you say that because that's the way that we've developed structure. Now I do think that there's only so many different structures, yeah. uh, you know, based on the persona, you know, for instance, yeah. at HH, we have more of a consultative conversation for someone behind a desk. They have yeah. more time to talk. And then there's somebody who is more of like to the point because they're either in a saturated market or they're underneath a car or something. Yeah. So those can, those can change. Um, so that's interesting that you say that. And this kind of goes to the next thing that I have, which I'm going to show you an example first. We did a little research on you and we found that you used to be on Twitter. Uh, your account is oh, still man. up. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> yeah, I've been on Twitter. And we, we saw that you tell gatekeepers that your name is Rex, like the dinosaur. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that was my Twitter handle, Rex like the dino. Like the dino. So do you, do you use that? in gatekeeper conversations or, or not so much? I use it all the time. Any Anytime I can add a little levity, absolutely. I like to use that on cold calls because it's extremely disarming. Like oh my God. you don't expect an adult professional to say something about dinosaurs on a cold call. That's very awesome. unexpected. And I have the advantage of having a very standout name on a call. I'm not John. <laughs> yeah. It's very yeah. easy for me to stand out. So why not acknowledge that, use that to my advantage. They're gonna laugh very likely that they'll give me a little bit more information than they would have otherwise. And they're certainly going to remember me when I call again. That's genius. And so I think that leads me to kind of my last topic here, which is the structure that we've kind of discussed and you mentioned versus the authenticity and personality, right? And messaging is somewhere in between there. So yeah. how do you train to those? How do you separate those when you're training teams or that you, when you've trained teams before? How do you know what's different between a message in a structure and then your personality? And I'll, before I, before you answer that, the reason I say that is because I feel one of the reasons this podcast exists and why I'm very passionate about sales conversation is because I used to think it was the reverse. I remember, and I think you had said this about a story where someone gave a piece of paper, this is the only script you'll ever need. Yeah. And I've had that before where, Hey, this is exactly what I say. Say this. And it's some corny joke that like I can't pull off. And literally mm -hmm. in the script is ha ha ha. Those are my favorite. Like you're supposed yeah. to laugh. Pause for laugh. Yeah, pause for laugh. And uh, you know that's just so backwards to me. And it sounds like you're you've kind of said that without saying that messaging isn't as important. And you yeah. use that line Rex, and no one else can. So how do you yeah. train the difference between the two or, or separate those? Yeah. So typically I, I call them frameworks. So I will teach people using the right terminology. If I say this is a script, then they think that this is like an actor reading a movie script and they have to say this specific thing. And then when I show them, I always like to go first and show them, here's what it sounds like when I say it. I'll never read word for word. Even if I wrote the script, I never say those exact words. I will flow off of it, essentially following the same bones but I might make a slightly different tweak to the language because it just feels natural to me. And then the most important thing that I emphasize that reps need to figure out for themselves is the introduction, because this is where the most people will hear your introduction, right? Everybody who picks up the phone will hear what you say at the very beginning of the call. Very few people will make it to the end. So how much do we need to script the beginning? A whole lot. How much do we need to script the end? Very little, right? The middle is where you have a human conversation. So we think about the intro as being very critical to script, but that scripting has to match your style because if it's ha 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 or pause <laughs> yeah. for laughter, that's yeah. never gonna fly for more than half of the reps that I know. They couldn't pull that off. So it's not important what you say, just that you say it with confidence mm. and that you're clear. I hear a lot of reps muddle their intro and guess what? I don't feel like hearing the rest of this when I don't understand what you said up front. And I hear a lot of them lack confidence in their introduction okay, well, I'm not really sure why you're calling me. So I'm not sure if I should stick on this call and I could do anything else other than this. And I didn't ask you to call me. So I'm going to hang up now. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's how do we yeah. get into a conversation? Yes. I recommend that we script that literally word for word, but that they do it in their own language and then that they follow the bones or the framework so that they're getting into the conversation in a similar way every single time. So helpful. And if anything, if you're listening, take what Rex just said, think about that, reflect on that because that separation is really the essence, I believe, in successful sales conversation. It's that foundation of understanding the difference between those things 
and then making it your own without losing the backbone of what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And then we get so many arguments on LinkedIn. It's funny about how many people are opinionated on these things. Oh, never say, how are you? Oh, it's the worst thing you could possibly say. It's so inauthentic and so rude. Really? There's one sales rep who I listen to. People will chat with him about anything. He struggles with structure. He doesn't know how to get to a meeting, but he can get anybody to open up with them. So saying, how are you? He means it. He cares. He's a super friendly dude. It just comes off right. So arguing over the nuance of those things doesn't matter nearly as much as, okay, well, can you pull that off? You know, I love Sarah Brazier. She's one of my favorite sales reps on LinkedIn from Gong. Yeah. She always has these great one-liners and then they get really popular and you think, man, half of these people are going to suck at saying that. They're going to sound so ridiculous. But Sarah sounds like a gangster saying it. Right. just It's so inauthentic with some people, but you have to think, okay, how can I say it? How can I get into a conversation? Is this normal? Is this a natural thing for someone like me to say? No, I'm not very funny. Or yeah, actually, like I would always tell a joke. You know, you just have to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is, that is a, a topic where I feel our, us as a sales community hasn't pinned down yet and really understood in masses. And so that's yeah. very helpful, I think, to, to hear that's how you go about it. And I, I'm, I'm with you on that. So Rex, awesome to have you here. Really good convo. Thanks I think we're me. winding down. Yeah. So I, I appreciate your time so much. Uh, any final words? Anything you want to say about no fluff selling? Give us give us a 10 second, 30 second commercial about no fluff selling, how we can find you. Yeah, you can find us at nofluffselling.com. It's funny. We have a, a nice small client base we go deeper and deeper with. I used to be worried about scale and going big. We just care about having success with our customers. So we spend a lot more time with each customer. They stick around a very long time. So we've been very fortunate. We don't worry about acquiring a whole bunch of new business right now, but we're learning a lot. And what we learn from one company applies to others. And that's the fun of agency work Mm. is like the frameworks that you build for your clients. Well, it applies to so many others and the things that you learn from conversations can apply to so many others. So I I love the agency life. I love working with different companies. So yeah, find me on LinkedIn. I love chatting about sales. You know, Ryan recorded this one. I've had many of these where we're not recorded. It's just, you know, friends chatting about sales. You can always hit me up there. Perfect. Rex, thanks so much for coming on. We'll talk to you soon. All right.